Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we begin a new study of the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like to dive into more resources like this one, check out our resources library at thevillagechapel.com resources. Our team carefully curates a variety of articles, books, and video content. We pray that these tools will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Hey folks, so glad you've joined me today for our continuing study of Mark's gospel. Today we'll be in chapter 1, verses 29 through 45, finishing up that first chapter. This is the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. He's in Capernaum at this point when we pick up in the storyline, and he's just called four disciples to come and follow him. They are Simon and Andrew, his brother, and then another set of brothers named James and John, all four of them in the fishing business up there on the Sea of Galilee, in and around the northwest shore, and specifically focused in Capernaum, the ancient city of Capernaum. So they'd just been in the synagogue, and while Jesus was there in the synagogue, teaching. Uh, There was a man there with an unclean spirit, uh, a demon. He had been possessed by some uh, a demon or some demons, and they seemed to speak in the plural. That's why I think there seems to be more than one of them. And Jesus sets this man free. He sees the human being, and he has compassion on him, and he sets him free. Immediately, the news about him, verse 28 says, went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. I'll remind you, Galilee is the northern third of Israel. And immediately, verse 29 says, after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, And immediately they spoke to him uh, about her. And I'll remind you again, that word immediately keeps popping up. You probably noticed it uh, if you haven't followed along with me so far in our study of Mark. I mentioned before there are, I think, 40 uses of that same term immediately. And it makes it kind of feels like the pace of Mark's gospel is, is quick. It's brisk. Uh, It's like a sprint almost. He wants to get to this thing and he wants to tell you this. He wants to tell you that. So he's highly caffeinated and immediately he tells you one thing and immediately tells you another. They have come out of the synagogue. They've gone right into evidently Simon and Andrew have a shared household. And they discover that uh, Simon's mother-in-law, which by the way, means that Simon Peter was indeed married. You don't have a mother-in-law unless you're married. And I um, I think that's wonderful. He evidently loved his mother-in-law, and uh, I can totally relate to that. When uh, Back when I first started dating Kim, I have to say, and I've told her this, I actually picked, I chose my mother-in-law before I chose my wife, the person I wanted to marry. I just, I, I uh, loved Kim's mom so much. Um, uh, we were in a a church basketball league, and uh, I was a I was a coach of a team, and then I became the referee for the for the league. And Anne, Kim's mom, was the coach of the girls' team.
team from our church, which was Cherrydale Baptist Church in Arlington, Virginia. And so as the referee, uh, you know, I was calling fouls and throwing the ball up for the jump and all that sort of thing. And um, she would occasionally have to appeal to me uh, as the coach to make sure I was doing the right thing and to ask my, ask me whether or not I want to reverse that call. But we had a great relationship and I loved Anne so much. Um, but here is Peter, Simon Peter. He has a house together with Andrew, evidently, and his mother-in-law lives there with him, and she's lying sick with a fever, verse 30 tells us. And immediately they spoke to him, that is Jesus, about her. We've got to do that more often, more quickly, more directly. Need to take our friends, our loved ones to Jesus. And it's so important for us. Well, Jesus came to her, verse 31 says, and he raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. She began to serve them in the household there. I don't know whether that means she cooked a meal or what she was doing, but she was there for them and responded uh, with gratitude to the kindness of the Savior as he healed her from this fever and whatever it was that had um, uh, taken her sick. Verse 32, when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. Wow. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And we already saw that, didn't we, in the synagogue in the previous episode, that the man who had been possessed by the demon or demons, those demons seem to recognize Jesus. We know who you are, the Holy One, the Son of God. What have we to do with you? And very concerned. And interestingly, as I mentioned before, seems like some of these demon-possessed folks, when the demons are speaking through them and Jesus approaches, they seem to understand who Jesus is. And you would think the religious leaders would get it, but they don't because they won't. Question is, how do you respond to Jesus? And I think that's the one of the two questions Mark's gospel keeps asking us. Who is Jesus? And how do you respond to Jesus given who he is? Well, they're bringing lots of people. The door is the doorway is filled. The entire city had gathered at the door and he healed many who were ill with various diseases. It's not just that he knew how to cure one thing. Uh, lots of people with various diseases. He cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because he knew, uh, because they knew who he was. Remember, the miracles of Jesus serve four or five purposes. They arouse curiosity in him. Who is this that even the demons obey? Who is this that even um, the lame get up and walk, the blind see. And as we move through Mark's gospel, we'll see even that he raises some of the dead. Um, who is this? Arouses curiosity. A lot of the miracles will do that. Uh, they will display his power and authority. They will reveal his compassion. They will affirm his identity as the son of God. 
and certainly they will inspire worship. Uh, as is, that's a, a proper response. Once we see his majesty, once we see Jesus for who he really is, then of course the response, the proper response is to bow down before him and worship him. We'll see that in a minute here. Uh, another individual who comes before him. But verse 35 says, so, so that was nighttime. Okay, evening had set, the sun had gone down, the sun had gone down, evening had come, sun had gone down, lots of people at the door. He's healing many, casting out demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. He's um, pacing uh, the, the, the ministry, the, the sort of um, social and uh, societal and population. He wants to make sure that they don't um, rise up and try to make him king and cause too much of a local disturbance before he can get around to some of the other cities. In the early in the morning, verse 35 says, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. And Simon and his companions um, hunted for him, and they found him. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And remember, this is really, really early. Um, I, uh, one of our last trip to Israel, uh, 2023, um, I think it was the spring of 2023, uh, we recorded a Bible study before the sun rose down on the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee there in Tiberias, in the city of Tiberias. And it was just amazing to be there as the sun rose um, off on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. There are mountains, there's our mountain range there, and you can just see the sun coming up. It's so beautiful. Uh, I, can, I can picture Jesus being up before the sun arose. I can picture him and these, I can picture these crowds looking for him already. They're desperate. Word is starting to spread from household to household without social media. People are um, so desperate, so hungry uh, for his teaching, so desperate for his healing. So lots of people are looking for him. And he went to this lonely place. He was praying there. He needed that too. He needed, as his, in his humanity, uh, Jesus needed to refresh and restore himself. And so he got alone with the Father. Simon and the companions are hunting for him. They found him. Everyone's looking for you. They said, verse 38 then says, he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And so we see kind of the idea there again that Jesus is pacing um, the popularity of his public ministry. He wants to make sure that the message gets out because a lot of folks will come running because they'll want to see his methods. They'll want to see his deeds, his works, and they'll want their physical bodies to be healed. That's important and that's legitimate. But he has something far deeper, far more meaningful, far more eternal that is a part of his mission and his message. And he wants to make sure and get that out as well. Well, there's one little short pericope here, verses 40 to 45, that I wanna close out uh, today's devotional with. Uh, and it has to do with a unique individual who comes. And he is a leper. He's someone with leper leprosy. I think today they call it uh, George Hansen's disease. And um, this leper came to him First of all, he came to Jesus, verse 40 tells us. 
beseeching him, falling on his knees before him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Probably had a a kind of scratchy, grovelly voice. Um, Leprosy is the kind of thing that eats away at the skin. Um, It it numbs the, the nerve endings so they can't uh, people who have this disease can't tell whether they're touching something hot or something that's sharp. And so it's, it's, a, it's a horrible and a wretched condition to have. And back then they had no real treatment for it other than <laughs> here comes the living treatment for it, Jesus himself. And this leper, this person with leprosy, and they were ostracized. They were uh, out, outcasts. They were outsiders. Uh, they were tossed out. One, once they were diagnosed with leprosy, they were kicked out of the city or the villages. They had to go live in a leper colony because it was highly contagious. Um, they couldn't even pick up their children or hug their wives or their husbands, whatever. They had to, to go out and live in these colonies where their, their bodies just literally decayed. Um, sometimes their ears fall off. Sometimes their fingers fell off. Their toes fell off. Their nose fell off. And so here, this rather wretched looking person came to Jesus, but he's desperate, this person. And he beseeching Jesus, he fell on his knees before him. That's so proper and right that we would all do that in whatever desperate condition we might be in. We might bow before him. Even becoming a Christian begins with that, doesn't it? It becomes uh, proper and right that we would bow before him, bow intellectually, bow physically. Um, uh, it's, I think that's a great thing to do, by the way, um, to bow before him, acknowledging that he is Savior. He is Lord. He knows better than we do. We need him. Um, and so that's what happened here. And saying to him, if you are willing you can make me clean. All the confidence in the world in Jesus. Knew Jesus could do it. Question was, would Jesus do it? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And that's what that's the way they thought about the disease too, by the way, that it, to be cured meant to be clean. And um, because Jews were kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the temple, couldn't come to gatherings for worship, And so they wanted to do that. They wanted to be able to do that, but they weren't allowed to do that until they were clean and declared clean by the priests as well. So uh, Jesus, verse 41, moved with compassion. And what is compassion? It's love that moves you. And that's what happened here. Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing be cleansed. Oh man, I wonder what that moment must have felt like for this man. <clears throat> I am willing. Be cleansed. And you know, we go we go before the Lord all the time and pray for healing uh, at our church, and you probably have before for yourself or for some loved one, uh, some friend, whatever it might be. We don't always know whether he's willing in this particular moment. Um, we know ultimately, the, the ultimate healing, of course, is to be with him, but we know he can. And so we always, and our prayers are always a request. He's the sovereign Lord of all. And so we go before him. And if, if we knew what he knows, of course, we could pray and claim it and frame it, as they say sometimes, but we don't always know what he knows. And so we like we have been taught, we go before him, we say, 
not my will, but thine be done. That's how Jesus prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll always join Jesus in that prayer, trusting in a sovereign God who knows everything uh, and knows what's best at this particular moment for his glory, for my good, for our good together as a people as well. So he said, I am willing, be cleansed. Verse 42 is probably one of my favorite immediately's in chapter one. There are 10 of them in chapter one, 40 in the entire book, like I said. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And Jesus warned him uh, sternly, it says here, uh, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing, what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. There were some Old Testament regulations, uh, requirements that were ceremonial cleansings so that the priest could then declare the person to be cleansed and welcomed back into society. And I, I think it's curious that uh, Jesus tells this guy, um, uh, you know, as after he heals him uh, of a very obvious disease, very public disease, he says, don't, don't tell anybody just go and present yourself to the priest so that you can then enter back into society, go back and, and, and embrace your, your wife and your children and get back to work and all that sort of thing. But just don't say anything, you know, as if people aren't going to notice. But at the same time, like I said, Jesus is trying to pace the public awareness of his ministry. This man, though, verse 45 says that he went out and he began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. And so it's fascinating to me, the irony of the whole thing. Jesus tells this man, don't tell anybody. He tells everybody. Jesus then tells all of us in the gospels, go tell everybody. And I wonder how many of us are telling anybody at all. Mm. Important for us, I think, to take note of that. Important for us to understand uh, that we are his ambassadors. Um, we're sent out to preach the gospel in word and in deed. Well, what do we see here? Well, verses 29 to 31, we see that the gospel, while it has had indeed worldwide impact, no question about it. Um, I think it's because it's so multifaceted. It's global, it's personal, and it's supernatural. Yeah. We all have needs in our households. And we see this with Peter, uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, but what are the needs in your household? Uh, or the ones that you're in close proximity to? Are you even aware of them? Do you even care about those people? Would you carry those people? Would you bring those people before Jesus? Would you be telling Jesus about them on a regular basis? Maybe you've grown weary of doing that. Maybe you've given up on doing that. Maybe it's because your pride is blocking you from loving someone. Maybe it's because you're angry with someone. And I'll tell you what, um, there's nothing like praying for someone to remove the pride that separates you from them or the anger that separates you from them. We see this not only in our personal relationships, but we see it in the culture at large as well. It'd be, be really hard for you to remain angry at the person that voted the other way. 
or to see them as a repugnant other or to see the candidate that candidate themselves as the repugnant other if you're praying for them and that's one of the reasons that the lord so often calls us to do things that make no sense to us he doesn't he knows the human soul was not designed to carry the burden and the weight and the heat of anger and bitterness toward others um, let's make the gospel so personal that we're praying for everyone around us that has needs. Uh, maybe you've withdrawn uh, out of bitterness towards someone, or maybe you've become impatient with God, and so it keeps you from praying. Perhaps you simply don't know what to say in your prayers. Well, I like these two prayers. They're just one-word prayers. Help! That's one. I say that one often. I, I, I don't know what... I, you know, I don't know what to advise God on how to solve the problem. I just say, help, Lord, help. Uh, the other one is, thank you. I need to say that one more often. Perhaps you do as well. But it's so important for us to remember that the gospel, yes, it's global, but it's also personal and it is supernatural. We're approaching the real God who is really there. Verses 33 to 39 um, remind us that as word was getting out quickly, too quickly in some ways, Jesus sort of tamps down on the people, you know, going around telling everybody because he wants to make it to some other cities. And he wants to make sure those other cities hear the gospel message uh, before they get caught up in just the um, temporal impact and effect of his public ministry. Um, there are a lot of cities that he visits and a lot of crowds that come to um, Jesus to hear him teach. Um, but he just doesn't want it to become much of a local authority, both Jewish and Roman authorities, problem before he can make it around to some of these other cities. A couple of quotes before I let you go. First, Tim Keller. If there's a creator God, there is nothing illogical at all about the possibility of miracles. After all, if he created everything out of nothing, it would hardly be a problem for him to rearrange parts of it as and when he wishes. Uh, we, uh, we often say around the village chapel here and that if you can buy Genesis 1-1, and most people actually do, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If most people believe there was a creator, then it surely would seem logical to assume that anybody, any entity that could create everything out of nothing could walk on water, could cast out demons, could uh, clean or cleanse this uh, leprous man, this man whose body was just uh, eaten away with leprosy. He could cure some people from cancer if he was willing to do so. So I agree with Keller that miracles should be something that we anticipate from a God who is really there, who who is really God. James Denny, um, back in the 19th and turn of the 20th century, said the kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning, it's for the desperate. And again, we see desperate people throughout Mark's gospel as we will study it together. And we ourselves have some of that desperation. So important for us to respond to Mark's questions. Who is Jesus? Remember, who is Jesus? Because when you remember who he is, Answering 
the next question from Mark, which is how should you respond to Jesus? That becomes clear to us. This leper is an interesting example of that. He seeks Jesus out. We should do that. He bows before him, humbles himself before Jesus. We should do that. He presents his request to Jesus and acknowledges that Jesus, his confidence in Jesus, that you can do this. Will you do this? And that's, man, that's what prayer is. It's a request. Um, it's not a demand, it's a request. A.W. Tozer would be my closing quote. He said, in every generation, the people who have found God have been those who have come to the end of themselves. Recognizing their hopelessness, they have been ready to throw themselves on the mercy and grace of a forgiving God. Man, I that describes me. I hope that describes you as well. I'm desperate for him this morning. I'm desperate for him today. Uh, I'm desperate for him every day. And the older I get, the longer I'm on this planet, the more desperate I become. I see more and more how much I need him. And that's the best thing. That's, that's the most freeing thing that has ever happened to me, to see my need and to turn to him and to receive his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness. Let's pray to him now. Lord God, thank you for the great news of the gospel. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross. You didn't have to. You didn't owe it to us, but you did it anyway. Thank you for your kindness and your compassion, your gentleness, your humility. You gave yourself away, uh, to us, for us. Help us, Lord, to receive your grace, your mercy, and then to go out and reflect your grace and your mercy to others. Be they right within our own household or within our own office or on the internet as we interact with them just doing business, whatever it might be, however, in whatever way we're in proximity to others. Lord, help us to see those you would have us see and to speak the gospel to them and to show the gospel to them as well. May it fall freely from our lips and be visible in our conduct and behavior. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.